Greetings, Greenhouse people. We are back at it with another episode of Tech on Demand, brought to you by the fine folks at Grower Talks Magazine. If you don't receive Grower Talks and Green Profit every month, head over to growertalks.com and subscribe. And while you're at it, subscribe to Inside Grower, our magazine for controlled environment agriculture. And speaking of subscribing, be sure to subscribe to the Tech on Demand podcast on your favorite podcast app, like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Odyssey, and more. Once you subscribe, you'll never miss an episode. Oh, and one more thing. If you like the podcast, please leave a positive review, because that really helps our algorithms. I'm your host, Bill Calkins, and this time... We're talking lighting, but not just any lighting, dynamic lighting, new technology and LED systems that allows for multi-zoning to meet the needs of multiple crops, as well as the ability to control light intensity and spectrums. Learn why fully dynamic LED lighting is good for your crops, as well as your bottom line. My guests, Rose and Michael from Saloon Technologies out of Montreal, Canada, share case studies new research, and a fresh approach to LED lighting. If you have plans to explore new lighting technologies or upgrade your current system in the near future, this episode is for you. It's a perfect blend of science and real-world application with two guests who bring passion and tremendous knowledge to an energetic discussion about a critical topic. Let's meet the guests. Rose Sagan is an agronomist specializing in controlled environment agriculture with previous experience in indoor agriculture, agricultural innovation systems, and agricultural development in remote areas of Canada. She holds a bachelor's degree in agro-environmental sciences and a master's degree in bioresource engineering from McGill University, during which she published several peer-reviewed articles and technical reports pertaining to controlled environment agriculture and sustainable agriculture. In her role as an agronomist at Saloon Technologies, Rose works with growers to implement dynamic lighting strategies over various greenhouse crops, analyze production data, and track progress toward production targets. Michael Hainan is Saloon's U.S. Market Sales Director, and has worked in the controlled environment agriculture field for more than a decade as an entrepreneur and in technical sales. Michael began his journey as the owner of a horticulture operation, understanding the challenges associated with precision agriculture from the grower's perspective. Before opening Saloom's first U.S. office, Michael worked for one of the top global horticultural LED companies. He's passionate about green technology, sustainability, and helping companies that share his values maximize their profitability and growth. Michael is vice chair of the board of directors of the Farm Technology Society and currently working with the Sustainable Food Policy Board for Austin and Travis Counties, of which he was a former board member. Michael holds licenses and certifications in greenhouse crop production and engineering, aquaponic technology and design, aquaponic system design and management, landscape design and irrigation, and has a bachelor's degree from Southwestern University. But that's enough out of me. Let's get into the episode. Rose and Michael, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having us. I've I've been looking forward to this podcast since we started talking about uh, dynamic lighting in general, and I was introduced to that concept because I think of it as kind of an emerging technology, even though LED lighting is not brand new, but it's certainly something that's uh, becoming more and more on greenhouse growers' radars at the moment. And recent lighting research conducted using these new technologies is really leading to breakthroughs across all segments of indoor crop production, whether that's food crops, 
ornamental plants, cut flowers. And from what I've learned, we're really lucky to have you two, especially on this podcast, because you have tremendous knowledge about this topic. And, you know, Saloom as a company has really cutting edge ideas to bring to the table. And you've heard about Rose and Michael specialties and in their bios, but I wanted to start this discussion off with a kind of a basic icebreaker question because you both have a lot of knowledge about greenhouse crop production and controlled environment agriculture and sustainable ag. And I'm sort of interested, like, why are you guys so passionate about lighting and specifically about the technology that you represent at Saloom? Rose, I'm going to go ahead and start with you uh, and and then we'll let Michael jump in uh, when, whenever you're ready. Yeah, well, I mean, from my side, what's really interesting in greenhouse lighting is basically everything you've just said. Um, previously, growers didn't have access to all of this technology. So essentially, your lights were on or off. You were only con- um, controlling your day length. But even though there were all of these studies saying that spectrum is important, intensity is important, we could never really test it out on a commercial scale. Any technologies that were there were maybe not affordable, they weren't scalable. And now we're at a point where that's not the case. And so we're really able to install these technologies on a really large scale and and dig into that commercial effect and see what's the actual impact this can have on on this really interesting and uh, and forever developing industry. So, you know, for us, there's so much curiosity. Every day is different uh, for every crop, for every cultivar that that people are growing, we're seeing different effects. And so it's it's definitely um, it's definitely an industry that keeps you on your toes. You always need to be paying attention and asking, uh, you know, obviously asking the right questions. Um, and then, you know, with lighting, the answers can be really, really different depending on if you're doing cucumbers or strawberries or cut flowers. So um, it's it, it's definitely a good challenge to, to take on. That makes sense. And it, I would imagine it, it is a challenge. Michael, what do you, what do you think? What's, where's your passion for this come from? Yeah, so I can relate to everything Rose just said about how it's sort of endlessly fascinating as we're working with so many different crops. Uh, For me, a lot of it comes down to the fact that lighting is really driving the process that we're dealing with here uh, as growers. So, you know, lighting is driving photosynthesis, and that's at the heart of what we all do as growers and horticulturalists. And um, it is one of all of the variables. It's they all work together. We know lighting is not the only piece of the puzzle and, and can't be successful on its own, but it's a really impactful variable and it's, uh, it, it drives yield optimization, consistency throughout the year. That's something that is really important to our customers, um, morphology, color, nutrition, flavor, if, if, if we're growing produce, time to market, you know, these are, these are all um, parts of the crop that we can impact through lighting. So again, endlessly fascinating. We're always learning. And that's for me where uh, my passion is centered in this. That's cool. And, and Rose, what you said about, you know, the, and historically the, the lights are on or the lights are off without much control over the spectrum or intensity. I think that that's probably a baseline that a lot of the listeners uh, start with, but then understanding and, and hearing more throughout our discussion today about what true dynamic lighting is, it's all about that control. And, and I think, you know, I've heard it said that you can control pests, you can control disease, you can control all the, or you can work to control all these different variables, but it comes down to plant health. And I would imagine that 
that lighting is, is one of the key foundations to plant health. And it's cool because your passion does come across loud and clear, which is exciting to me as a host, because I know that you're going to bring a lot of interesting things to the table here. And you both have a lot of experience working with greenhouse professionals in all sorts of segments, like I already referenced. Um, but I, I suppose that growing plants really is the basic level. And Michael, you kind of just referenced it. So can you talk a little bit about lighting technology as it relates to the different segments that Saloom supplies and maybe the differences or similarities when it comes to these different segments as it relates to lighting? Yeah, absolutely. So as I mentioned earlier, part of what makes this so enjoyable for us is we get to work with many different segments and many different types of growers. Um, and the common thread is that, you know, at the heart of it, it's all growing plants. It's all horticulture. Um, historically, greenhouse produce has been the, the biggest focus for us as a company and the area where we have the most experience. And even within greenhouse produce, we've got a ton of variability um, or a, a ton of different crops we're working with. We're working with high wire crops like tomato and cucumber, a few of our major customers there, Savora in, in Quebec, Prism Farms in Ontario. Uh, the lighting strategy for those crops is, is uh, you know, typically 250 micromoles per square meter is, is a typical intensity. Um, and, you know, the goal is driving, uh, is driving yield and um, driving consistency of yield throughout the year. Uh, then we've got crops like leafy greens, uh, the, the, the light intensity tends to be a little bit lower for those, but that's a really important crop for us and same, same game. And with greenhouse produce in general, we're typically looking to impact yield and make yield more consistent. Strawberries have been an emerging crop the last couple of years. We just announced a really important project with a major grower in Leamington, Ontario, Amco. And again, Savora is a major grower working with strawberries and our lights. Um, so yeah, that's that's a really important area for us. Uh, ornamentals, another key area. We're working with uh, ornamental growers that are doing liner production and finished plant production. And the lighting strategy and uh, spectral quality that we want for those different stages is, is different. And so that's that's something that's come up with us with ornamental growers quite a bit is, hey, uh, I installed red-blue lighting, red-blue LEDs, for example, and they work really well for finished uh, finish plants, uh, bedding plants, potted plants. But for my liners, they're giving, giving us a lot of challenges. And so then their hands are kind of tied about which lighting system is in which place and our solution gives them flexibility. They install the same lighting everywhere. And they have flexibility to move the different stages of production within their facility as they need. Um, we just announced a partnership with Pleasant View Gardens, uh, and that's exactly what they saw with us in that space. So um, a few others that we work with in ornamentals would be Cobbins Nursery in the UK um, and Zeromsky in Quebec. So. Uh, broadly speaking, produce and ornamental are probably the biggest sections for us. We, we've done some cut flower projects as well, uh, mostly in Quebec to this point. And then research is, is a space that we, we do work uh, with 
universities and agricultural research stations, typically they're wanting uh, a general lighting solution that will work on a wide range of crops. Because, you know, if you have a greenhouse compartment, many different species are going to come through it over time and you need a, a general solution that will work for many. Uh, and that's an increasing area of focus for us. In, in fact, we just announced uh, a, a program we call SEARCH, uh, which is Saloom uh, Empowering Academic Research in CEA and Horticulture. And basically, we're looking to partner with land grants, uh, ag universities in the United States and equip them with our systems because it's it's exactly the type of system that's going to enable them to push agronomic research forward. Uh, so that's exciting for us. I hope that's a kind of an overview, but if you have questions about any of those, let us know and we can dig deeper on any of them. Okay. And, and that was a really, really good overview. I think that understanding the different goals of the different segments, whether that's yield or like you said, liner, liner production of bedding plants. I mean, that has to be such a, I mean, that's such a a range of, of, of needs and, and goals there. Uh, yeah. But what I do think is most interesting is that Saloom does have technologies that apply to all these different segments. And then just the thought about starting to really partner with universities and and work with them to bring some of this research forward is it's exciting for me to hear. And I'm sure it's exciting um, for you guys as a company. And I think, like I said, that establishes a pretty good foundation. So let's let's build a little bit from there. I will dig deeper into those topics, but I really want to understand what you mean when you talk about dynamic lighting. And you did reference, you know, some of some of what that means, but I know that it goes a, a lot deeper than that. So how about how about a definition or a summary of the 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 true points of difference and benefits versus other lighting technologies or lighting that growers have used in the past and or presently what they have in their facilities. And I know, Rose, this is something that that you know a lot about um, from your experience. So why don't you uh, talk a little bit about what dynamic lighting is and and how Saloom uses that term to encapsulate a lot of a lot of what uh, you guys are bringing into the market. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So for us, looking at our definition of uh, dynamic lighting, typically we're focusing on four main criteria. So the first of them being that uh, you can adjust your your maximum light output uh, from your system. So usually when we're dimensioning a system, we do it based on the darkest months of the year because that's when you'll need the most light. So for us here in North America, we're talking about December and January. So Basically, we want to make sure that in those months we do have enough light to be hitting your uh, to be hitting your your light sum, your target, um, and so everything is based on that. However, if I'm starting a crop in the greenhouse in September, maybe turning my lights on September or October, at that point I don't necessarily need to be running my December levels, and so. If I don't have control over that, then I can end up incurring fairly high demand charges and actually just providing light for my crop that I don't necessarily need because my days are still fairly nice. So instead of running my fixtures at 250 or 60 micromoles in September or October, I can actually bring that lower to 80%, 75, uh, just to make sure that I'm not, you know, providing 
too much light to the crop. The same is true uh, in, in the other side of the shoulder season. So looking into the spring when now our days are getting longer, we're having more intense sunlight. And so again, we don't necessarily need to be running our lights at the same level we had in December and January. So previously with HPS, again, you don't really have that. It's really, it's, it's on or off and you're, the most control you get is in your checkerboard, right? So uh, with dynamic lighting, pretty much it lets us go incrementally down 100, 99, all the way down to whatever you want. Typically we're doing 10% increments, but bottom line, the grower really has that flexibility to cap that output from their fixtures. So that would be the first one. The second one is basically taking this first one, but actually going a lot deeper into more of a real-time control. So, you know, anyone that has a weather station from Priva, from whatever your controller is, uh, you're familiar with, you know, having your threshold for light. So at that point, basically, if the sun is really bright, your lights will shut off, or maybe half of them shut off. The problem there is that that change in light is actually fairly strong. So a plant is going from having supplemental light to not having any at all, or actually dropping in very, uh, you know, very large increments. So basically what we're doing with dynamic light is we have sensors above, uh, above the crop that'll basically read the incoming light levels and then adjust the fixtures incrementally towards that. So essentially if I've set a target of 500 micromoles per meter square per second, and the sun is giving me 300, well, then I can have my fixtures dim down to 200 or dim down even further, depending on how much light we have. So what this is producing for us is a really uniform light level at the head of the crop. And when we're avoiding these big dips, well, then, you know, we're working on keeping the plant active and consistent throughout the day. So that would be our, our second one, which for us is like live compensation or what we call rectification. The third one, which is visually the most fun, uh, is spectral flexibility. So really being able to change the color uh, of the lights basically at any point. So the challenge with having a fixed spectrum light like legacy systems like HPS or like other LEDs is that you need to be pretty spot on on your decision making at, you know, when you're buying your fixtures. So if I'm making my decision based on the fact that today I'm growing strawberries and this very particular variety that might be fine, but if you change that variety or if you change your crop, then you might no longer have that optimal light spectrum. Whereas when we have a dynamic system, then basically every time we introduce a change into the greenhouse, we can look at that and say, okay, this is the impact it's gonna have on my crop. These are the characteristics of this variety. I wanna adjust my spectrum in this way. I wanna increase red, I wanna decrease red, things like that. Uh, it also gives us the possibility of adding treatments. So also in the research and what we've been doing with multiple growers is saying, you know, during your growing season, why don't we apply specific treatments like saying, we wanna really increase the blue light at the end of your lettuce production if you're growing a red romaine, for example, to make sure you have something that's very saturated in color. We're also seeing similar effects for bedding plants and other ornamentals where if you really wanna drive coloration of, of a tissue of a leaf or of a flower, then you can play with your spectrum towards the end. So that's really interesting. Uh, as well as, you know, for flower initiation, there's certain things you can play with that will actually help you get there. Um, and so that's a, so that would be the third one is really being able to change the colors. And then finally, we have zoning. And so zoning is kind of what enables everything else in the sense that there's so much variability in your greenhouse. Sometimes you have one corner that is colder than the rest. Uh, you know, what's happening in the middle of your greenhouse is not the same as the gable wall or, you know, even between varieties. And so rather than being limited based on your electrical installation or based on your breakers, basically, what we can do is at a software level and say, you know what, over this part of the greenhouse, I want to do something else. 
I select only those fixtures, that becomes my zone. And so that zone can be controlled independently of everything else. So on that side, you know, it really lets the grower, instead of applying an average solution, let's say to the whole greenhouse and saying, generally, this is what it is. I can actually go in and tailor it to specifically what's happening in that section of the greenhouse, whether it's because of a variety or a climate, you know, you really get to tailor it specifically. And for some varieties that a grower might not have looked at because of certain conditions, well, now we actually open up the door to, you know, really uh, to, to include different varieties or different things that we might not have tested previously. That makes a lot of sense. And I, I agree when you talk to growers, their crop mixes are changing every year. They're adding, I mean, so many growers have added in foliage production, tropical production, switching around their, their annuals, perennials. Um, there's no such thing as monoculture greenhouses in North America when it comes to flowering ornamentals, that's for sure. Um, so I think that, that that is really exciting. And, and like you said, you're not limited by the electrical pattern of your greenhouse. It's software-based and can be adjusted kind of on the fly, which I know is always a barrier when growers look at, at installing lighting is they've got to make a decision right then based on the crops they're growing at that time, maybe thinking a little bit about the future, but without much flexibility. So that is really exciting. And I think that that is a really great explanation of dynamic lighting. Definitely sounds like you've uh, talked to growers about that before. Um, and I know that when, when you talk about lighting or when, when growers hear about lighting, it can be overwhelming. There's a lot of science. There's a lot of technical terms. You know, I, we publish a lot of research in grower talks. We have lighting guides. And a lot of times it can just sort of make your head spin. Um, so let's, let's kind of break it down to when you have a conversation with a grower for the first time or the second time you're, you're talking to them, maybe not at a trade show or an event, but at their greenhouse or, or on a call where you can actually dig into their specific uh, production needs. What, so they're, they're deciding on upgrading to new lighting. How does this initial conversation go? What are some of the earliest considerations that, that you're taking into account? Because um, it is a big investment. So I would imagine there are a lot of questions, you know, before you even get started with, with the project. So you know, establishing goals or plans. How does that conversation go um, initially when, when you start to talk to a grower? And Michael, why don't, I'll, yeah. I'll go ahead and start start with you, but I know, Rose, you're going to have uh, some thoughts on this as well. Yeah, great question. So uh, initially, it's, it's a lot of understanding the business and understanding the growing operation. And so lots of information gathering and uh, it's important right off the bat to understand the grower's experience with lighting to date, whether that's no experience with lighting, HPS, uh, some experience with LED. We see we see everything uh, in terms of level of experience with lighting, but that really informs the discussion from there because grower that's never worked with supplemental lighting in any way, uh, we can explain. Um, the benefits in terms of consistency and yield improvement, um, a grower that's transitioning from HPS, we're going to be able to walk them through that transition uh, and stay ahead of some of the changes that need to be made. For example, if you're switching from HPS, temperature in the growing environment is going to change along with lighting. And so we need to 
be advising the growers on that and what to expect. Uh, the other thing is terminology. This, this comes up uh, quite a bit still. Uh, it, rewind three or four years and nearly every time we were talking to growers about supplemental lighting, we, we needed to set the stage in terms of the common language because growers are used to with their environmental controller seeing radiometric watts, um, yeah, watts per square meter, joules, joules per square meter. And uh, we use a different language when we're talking about supplemental lighting. We're talking about micromoles per square meter per second or PPFD um, as the intensity in any given moment of, of lighting. And then we talk a lot now about daily light integral or DLI which is the accumulation of moles of light uh, over the course of 24 hours. And different crops, different species will have optimal uh, DLI targets. And, and that's really what informs the lighting plan that we put together. So, you know, putting that terminology in place and uh, we can go a little bit further briefly here on the subject of, of spectrum, because that's something we can, we empower growers to work with. And, you know, we talk about PAR light or photosynthetic active radiation, which is four to 700 nanometers. Uh, and within that, we've got blue light, which would be four to 500 green, which is typically five to 600 red, six to 700. And then more and more, we're talking about uh, EPAR or uh, kind of an expanded range, which includes far red, which is typically defined seven to 800 nanometers. And each of these different wavelengths is going to have different impacts on the crop, species specific impacts as well. Uh, so we can, we can help put that terminology in place as well. Uh, Rose, did you wanna add anything on the, on the wavelengths? Uh, yeah, well, it, yeah, I guess uh, overall with the wavelengths, you know, that strategy that we take with it, it really, again, it depends on the crop, the variety, and even what you're trying to do. So, you know, if you, when you're actually thinking about how those wavelengths look on the whole scale is that, for example, if you think UV, that's, you know, way uh, that has a much shorter wavelength, well, blue would kind of be your closest kind of like neighboring to that. Uh, and then when you go red, far red and beyond, that's when you come into your infrared. So <clears throat> some of the difference in terminology when you're looking at, you know, what your what your Priva is giving out in terms of, you know, watts per meter square, joules per centimeter square, it's actually based on a different wavelength range. Priva tends to be more extended because it's actually looking at the sun typically. So it's considering all this extra radiation. Uh, whereas on the PAR side of things, you know, again, we're going four to 700 nanometers, 800 when we include the far red. And so for us, you know, often that's one of the big questions people have because the lights are no lights. You're so used to working with joules per centimeter square and watts per meter square. And so for us, we're really trying to, you know, put the grower's mind at ease uh, in terms of, you know, just explaining that it's not technically the same thing. And frankly, the conversion is, is not always straightforward because it does depend on the spectrum you're putting out. Um, but again, I mean, if you're looking at, you know, your, your sunlight that actually has a certain portion in infrared, there is a, that's probably the biggest question we're getting from growers just because everyone's working with at least that base knowledge. So um, any documentation that we provide to growers basically has that sort of an appendix at the end, just to remind people like, you know, this is the terminology that 
that we're using in horticultural lighting, this would be what your, your proxy was or what you were using before, just so that conceptually it makes sense. Uh, and then we're always there, obviously, to elucidate on, a, to, to just explain really what it is. Um, and then same thing with all of the wavelengths, you know, beforehand, if someone is saying, well, look, one of my pain points with this particular crop is, you know, it is just stretching and getting out of control crazy. Well, then for us, we'd say, you know what, let's look at actually increasing your amount of blue light because that tends to produce a crop that's more compact, maybe has thicker leaves. So depending on what you're doing, if you're doing propagation, that is really powerful. If you're saying, well, I'm looking at peppers that already tend to you know, our slower growing crop and sometimes have a harder time stretching out. Well, we're not going to come in with the same recommendation because, you know, when we, we don't want that crop to be as short. Uh, so, you know, those are all sort of the resources that we provide to growers to make sure that they can conceptualize and say, previously with HPS, with whatever, I was just seeing yellow light. That's it. And for us, it's really about taking that spectrum and breaking it down in a really easy way to say, well, we want to increase this and this is why, like this is the, the effect we, we expect to see on your crop and then doing a follow-up with them to make sure that is the case. Yeah. So in addition to putting in place that common terminology and understanding the grower's experience with lighting uh, to date, we also want to, to understand the location because, you know, we're dealing with greenhouses here and natural sunlight. That's a factor we have to bring in when we do lighting plans. Uh, and then of course, the the species that are being worked with and the objectives. Uh, what are the what are the challenges today? And, and at the end of the day, the lighting system is a tool for growers that should improve their cultivation and improve their bottom line. And so we've got to be solving real problems. And, and that's, we want to understand what those are, so we can address them with the lighting system. Well, you both mentioned problem solving, getting to those pain points, putting growers' minds at ease. I think that all of that is uh, very critical when it comes to any sort of new technology. Um, so I can certainly appreciate the, the importance of that. Uh, one sort of uh, follow-up question, do, do facilities matter much, like the actual greenhouse structure that these are going in? Um, do you have solutions that can kind of work, work within any existing structure? Because I don't think growers want to build new greenhouses to, uh, to, to install new lighting. Um, a lot of times they're working with legacy structures that have been built up over many years. And you probably have seen every different type of greenhouse known to man from the most modern to the most sort of, uh, rustic. So what, you know, do, how much do facilities factor in? Yeah, fortunately, our solutions are pretty flexible, and we have worked on all types of greenhouses from from very low tech polyhouse type uh, structures all the way up to you know very high tech uh, Venlo style you know super modern high tech greenhouses. So we can typically work with what's in place, and we do a lot of retrofit projects. So, uh, but by no means does this have to be new build. Um, and on this topic, it's worth saying that rebates are, are a big part of what we do. We always uh, work to bring rebate dollars to the table for our customers. And uh, typically it's available in the US and in Canada from the utility. Uh, and, and we can almost always qualify both for new builds and retrofits for those kinds of rebates. That's cool. I was, I was, uh, 
I was hoping you were going to say that because I think that growers uh, get nervous when they start to think about what kind of facility upgrades or, or changes are going to need to be made in order to install anything new, whether it's new irrigation systems or lighting or, you know, new transportation of benches and carts and things like that. So um, that that's really cool. And and you you really covered a lot, both of you in, in that last question, um, but I've got more. So can you maybe share some case studies? Because I've worked with growers for a long time and I know that, that growers learn a lot from their peers. Um, they love to ask questions and hear from other operations similar to theirs that have gone through, you know, what, whatever change that might be. Um, but I guess specific to any recent projects that you've worked on or um, that might kind of characterize how your team partners with growers. And, uh, and then I think that the real important part is benefits that growers have seen in their crops, um, no matter what they're growing, um, but benefits that have been seen after these dynamic lighting systems were installed. Um, and then I, you know, kind of the, the outcomes that were planned for and what was achieved. Rose, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tag you on this one. Yeah, sure. Uh, so just very basically, just to kind of summarize the way we work with growers is essentially, you know, ahead of light on uh, our agronomy team will actually chat with the growers to talk about, and, and this kind of goes on year after year, it's not just year one, where we'll talk with them about what crop they're growing, what their varieties are, if they have crop consultants, or even seed reps, we try to loop them in as well, just to find out really what is the plan for this year, and what are we actually looking to improve. And then from there, uh, we basically will provide this lighting strategy that will have a couple different configurations. So we'll have a very basic one where it's from day one to get you up and running. The idea being that a lot of times people's people are planting and turning their lights on in fairly quick succession. And so it's a very busy time to give someone a plan that's a little bit more complicated and say, do this. So we give them a more basic option just to make sure you know, come hell or high water that they have something they can do. And then we provide other configurations based on their interests. So if they've said, you know, these are challenges that we have with this particular crop, then these other configurations will say, look, we suggest zoning it in this way. We suggest these recipes with these parameters. And also this is the data we suggest you look at. So it's all fine to see it visually. And there is a lot that you can tell visually from a crop, but for us to make sure that we're optimizing year in, year out, it really does help to have some baseline data. So we work with the grower to say, if you're looking to evaluate this particular treatment, we'd suggest looking at these parameters. And then from there, we'll do follow-ups with them throughout the season. So either through, you know, if, it, if they're far, we'll do a remote call. Otherwise we like doing regular visits to look at the crop, chat with them, chat with their consultants to make sure that what, what is happening is, is, is on the right path and that if we need to be taking any actions that we're doing so as proactively as possible. So that in a nutshell is something we do with pretty well all of our commercial clients. Some, uh, you know, some of our earliest examples of this obviously was with Allegro Acres. Uh, we've, uh, we've published a lot about that project, but essentially the first Lit Pepper project uh, and uh, currently installed over eight or 12 acres. And um, yeah, and so with that, it, it was exactly that. It was having regular meetings with the growers, following their crop registration. And then when we're seeing that, you know, the plants are a little bit too, too short, the peppers are starting to stack, then we go in and play with the spectrum to make sure that they're well spaced out. Uh, so that would have been kind of our first big example of that. Uh, we've been doing the same thing with strawberry growers. Um, 
and, and pretty well with every crop, just making sure that we're in fairly constant communication, not bombarding, but just making sure that we're in the loop. Uh, and, uh, and that, you know, if they do have concerns related to lights, that they are calling us right away. We don't want to just be a, a provider where we sell the lights and we kind of disappear and say, have fun, you know, because for us, again, we also have a ton of curiosity and we want to make sure that it's working. So, uh, so yeah, pretty well, all of our clients, you know, minimum year one, we do, you have that just to make sure that they're up and running and that they're confident and also just very clearly that they're not overwhelmed. Uh, like we mentioned earlier, changing any system, even lighting can be overwhelming. And so for us, we work with them to kind of co-develop this learning path so that it's not overwhelming so that we make sure whatever data recommendations we're making, is that even doable? Do they have the people to do that? If not, okay, let's bring it down to a level that makes more sense uh, to that grower. So the whole idea being that we want to make sure the grower is able to pull something out of what they're doing so that even during the year, but at least in subsequent years, they can look back and say, oh, this is what I did. This worked really well. However, I want to do this next year. And so maybe in one day, different zone, different treatment, and then we can compare. So the whole idea, you know, with, with anything data related is to be able to look back on what you're doing and make sure that you're always making it better. That, that makes sense. And I can imagine, I can also appreciate that when, when these systems are installed, you don't have a year to play around with it because you have a crop to produce probably immediately. And then you're going to want to go back and tweak and work with the team at Saloon to make sure that you're doing the right thing. And, and like you said, I think that the, the data is, is very critical. Um, you know, a lot of growers tend to go by what they see, um, but more and more data measurement, um, certainly with, with ornamental growers is becoming very critical. And I would imagine with, with food crop producers, it's probably much more, uh, it's further down that path with, with measuring the data. That's that's really cool. Um, and Michael, you mentioned earlier the the research and, and the goals with working with universities and other research, probably independent researchers to uh, to learn more. Um, and you mentioned Rose learning from your customers, which is also really a, a kind of a noble, a noble approach from any sort of a supplier. So I, I think that that's that's awesome. But when, when you talk a little bit about the, the research and, and the new um, approach you guys have to working with uh, universities and like you said the land grant universities um, talk a little bit about uh, about what kind of information you're looking to gain from this research um, because I think when you when, when I hear about lighting some of the the breakthroughs are really amazing and and the impacts on crops are tremendous and you know, we, we hear a little bit about that, but what, what are the goals? Like, what, what are you looking to, to, to draw out of this research as you work um, with, with these universities and other partners? Yeah, so for Saloom, uh, really at the heart of what we do, you've heard it from Rose, you've heard it from me, and it's, it's really built into the technology itself that we offer is this belief that we're not done learning when it comes to lighting, that we're going to continue to learn. And you see it over the last five years, the, the strategies that we're deploying in, in supplemental lighting uh, today look totally different than they did five years ago. We're deploying higher light levels. We're deploying different spectra. We're using targeted 
uh, wavelengths to impact morphology, whether it's far red or blue. Uh, increasingly, you've got growers using blue light to bring out coloration like Rose talked about. And this is just kind of scratching the surface. Um, we see a future uh, coming rapidly in which we're tailoring the light recipe to the not only the species, but the variety. There's a lot of research showing that uh, responses to light uh, quantity spectra vary by variety. And so there's an opportunity to optimize yield, optimize quality um, through light treatments for each variety. And this is the type of research that we want to enable. So for, for us, honestly, it's not about a particular research outcome. It's, it's more about putting the right tools in the hands of the researchers that are already, you know, they, they know better than we do uh, about the, the avenues for research. And uh, we really view it as enabling them and helping to move the industry forward. Um, with that said, you know, if there's listeners that uh, are researchers, you know, please reach out. If there are listeners that are working through extension um, and, and in contact with these universities and, you know, they know great researchers or great extension agents that they think would benefit, please get in touch. Um, it's, it's our goal to, like I said, enable and, and help move things forward for the industry. Awesome. Rose, do you have anything to add when it comes to, uh, to some of the goals of the research projects you guys are working on? Yeah, I guess, um, you know, overall with technology now, and especially, especially as we're moving towards more sensors, um, like I mentioned on the data side, there's obviously a lot of power in seeing something happen in your greenhouse and in reporting that, but there's also an increasing level of interest on what's actually happening on a very small level to understand, well, why exactly if I have, you know, plants that are more resilient to X pathogen or disease under this light, why is that? And often it's with these extension services with these uh, universities where we can actually dig into that and do that research because obviously on a commercial side, that's, that's not really where the commercial comes in. And so for us, you know, being able to work with different research centers basically allows us to understand why something is happening. Because if you understand from a base level that this particular process in a plant does this and it's influenced by light, well, it allows you with different crops, crops to kind of bring it back to the basics and say, okay, well, this is what I saw in tomato on this process. I'm going to do the exact same thing to peppers. Does it elicit the same response? And so on that research side, I mean, there's, there's practical research where it's a little bit, you know, a little bit higher level, not necessarily going down to the genetics, but then there's a lot of work currently being done that goes all the way down to expression of, you know, a bunch of genes and what impact that has. And so for us with the universities, it's, it's really pulling that kind of information out. And for us, in terms of knowledge transfer and working with growers, we get, again, the challenging but really fun task of figuring out on a commercial scale, what does that mean? And then for us, it's also about identifying those growers who say, you know what, I'm kind of interested in testing this out. Maybe it's not on my whole greenhouse, maybe it's just in a section, but let's give it a shot. And then for us, it also allows us to start plugging people together. You know, we have different commercial growers where we'll say, you know what, I have someone in Quebec who's doing something similar, you guys should talk. But then it also allows us from a research center perspective to say, well, we've tried this here, let's put it to a commercial, you know, to a commercial environment. Our big example with that was with Allegro Acres and Harrow. So Harrow a Research and Development Center, you know, they were doing a lot of trials on continuous lighting and on, you know, basically a lot of different lighting protocols. 
And by collaborating with Allegro Acres, they were able to take what they were doing and apply it to, to a commercial context and say, okay, does this work? Yes, all right, what can we improve? And then they kind of bounce back and forth between each other. So that's the sort of synergy uh, we really like to see. Obviously working with universities is great, but being able to plug them in on the industry side and also to just be a part of that ecosystem is really, uh, it's, it's really fun for us. I can tell because collecting that information and then figuring out how to apply it for your clients is really one of the, it sounds like one of the, the big things that, that Saloon brings to the table. Um, and the more research you can be a part of, the more you can do that. So um, that's exciting. And uh, um, yeah, it keep, keep going in that direction because I know that there's a lot of university research being done on like you said not just the the species but the individual varieties i think that i mean i work for a breeding company we're always interested in how to optimize each of the varieties um within a a series of plants so that's really cool and uh it'll be fun to see how how uh you guys do in partnering with the the different research uh researchers out there all across north america and I do appreciate that look into the crystal ball. I mean, you mentioned pathogens and disease. Um, that to me is one of the real exciting things I've heard as, as it relates to lighting research. Um, I know that we're probably not too far down, down those paths yet in the ornamental plant market, but um, look into the future. That is something that I, I think can be really, really super important. So before we wrap up this discussion, um, I always like to ask uh, the folks that I'm talking to, is there anything we've missed? Is there anything that you want to either reiterate or something that I completely didn't even ask you that, that you want to make sure to uh, to get out there to the listeners? Um, and then I guess before you before you wrap up, talk a little bit about how uh, folks listening can get in touch, whether they do want to partner on research or they want to learn more about uh, more about the dynamic lighting systems. Um Michael, why don't you yeah. why don't you start on this one? Yeah, I don't know that we missed it, but I just I just wanted to circle back on and encouraging growers to think about uh, flexibility and adaptability when they invest in lighting systems. Uh, we offer a lighting system that uh, uses software and uses uh, dynamic technology to uh, to give growers flexibility and adaptability, and it makes it makes that investment future proof. So uh, I don't think that that's really been part of the thinking or part of what was available with the technology and lighting in the past. And we enable that. So, yeah, I just wanted to, to underscore that. And in terms of uh, reaching out, well, actually, Rose, did you have anything you wanted to add there in terms of uh, last thoughts? Yeah, well, I think, you know, for me, my my job is very specifically working with growers. So I'm all about making sure you have good communications you know, with, with your lighting provider, especially, you know, in your selection phase, but even afterwards, I think one of the pain points we hear is, again, you buy lights and that's kind of it. Um, you know, I think it's, it's really important. We have a really important role in terms of keeping people up to date with what's going on. It shouldn't be up to the grower to have to sift through all this research and see, you know, what can I try in my greenhouse? And so, you know, generally I'd say, obviously with any providers you have, challenge them on things and say, okay, well, if you're recommending this, why? What's the reason and what expertise are you bringing 
to the table because chances are as a grower, I'm going to call you back and say, Hey, this is happening. And I don't know why you're the expert. So making sure that you have someone that you can have those conversations and bounce off of each other and figure out, okay, well then what should I be doing instead? Uh, I think for us, you know, for me anyways, that's been, that's a very fulfilling part is being able to talk with people. I learn, we all learn. Um, but yeah, I think generally that's for me is a big, big thing. There's a lot of providers out there that sometimes really bombard people and it can be you know, very overwhelming. Um, and so definitely, you know, make sure that you're, you're with someone that can really help you grow and that can also help you both literally. And then also in, uh, in terms of development to make sure that you're optimizing your processes year in, year out. Oh, that that's great. I do think that challenging your suppliers to be a part of your growth as a company. Um, you know, when I talk to suppliers, the good ones want to do that. I mean, that that's a passion of of, of any partnership. Um, that, that makes a lot of sense. So Michael, how do they, uh, how do they get in touch with you guys? Yeah. So, uh, check out our website to see more about our technology and it's uh, saloon S O L L U M dot tech D E C H. And you can reach out to me directly. I'm Michael at saloon dot tech. Uh, and yeah, I can connect you with Rose and the horticulture service team or, or really anybody that you would need to connect with in the saloon team. Excellent. Thanks. I'll put a, I'll put a bunch of the links in the, the show notes. Um, I've got some, some links to some of your, uh, partnership projects and some of the, the projects that you've worked on in the past and definitely uh, a link to the website and, uh, and your email as well. Um, Rose and Michael, thank you so much for all of your time today. It's been a fun conversation. Um, I learned a lot. I think that the just the to think about the opportunities with dynamic lighting, um, like Saloon provides, is I mean it's energizing. It's you know it's new new technology, whether that's new varieties or new lighting systems. Um, new technology is really the lifeblood of, of of our industry, and it's what gets people excited. And and the the future truly is bright uh to use an overused pun with lighting and i absolutely appreciate your knowledge and willingness to share so thank you guys very very much thank you bill thanks for the opportunity to talk with you and, and with the audience here thank you and i'm bill calkins with tech on demand reminding you to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app we're on itunes spotify google stitcher odyssey and just about all the others and jump back into the archives because there are more than 80 episodes just like this one packed with tons of useful information and take care out there. Mm -hmm.